Good morning. My name is Jenya. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm so excited to see everybody here in the sanctuary. Welcome to you. Thank you for joining us for worship. Welcome to the brothers and sisters that are worshiping with us online. I want to encourage you to register your attendance using the attendance pads here on the pews, or use the tools available on the platform that you're streaming this worship service to. Let us know you're with us. And now, as we listen to our prelude, let's prepare our hearts for worship. Will you please stand as you are able and join me in the call to worship? After we uh, finish call to worship, we will sing together hymn 548, In Christ There Is No East or West. You call us into this space, O God, inviting us into a time of worship. You call our hearts, O God, inviting us to know your love. You call us by your name, O oh God, inviting us to know you more deeply. Continue to call us, O oh God, and may we know your grace and peace. Amen.
things we do as a community of faith is affirm our beliefs together. The affirmation is the Apostles' Creed is on page 881 in your hymnal. Please join me now as we affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Join me now in a moment of prayer for World Communion Sunday. Let's pray. When we speak to God, God listens, and God responds to our prayers. And so God, as we pray together, as I will say, Lord, in your mercy, the people will respond, hear our prayer. Let us pray. God of all nations, we give you thanks for all that you have made, for us being made in your image. On this World Communion Sunday, give us eyes to recognize your reflection in the eyes of your children everywhere. Give us a mind to accept and celebrate our differences. Give us a heart big enough to love your children everywhere. We thank you for setting a table with space for all of us to join under. Lord, in your mercy, God of mercy, your love has never been far from us. Even when we turn our backs on people in need, when we seek our own comfort and neglect opportunities to help others, when we by our own thoughts and actions betray you and you are always there for us. Forgive us for all those acts of cowardice and self-centeredness that have drawn us away from you. Heal our spirits and rebuild our lives. Lord, in your mercy. You have placed us in a global community in which illness, oppression, greed, fear, and anger abound. You ask us to proclaim your words of hope and love, of healing mercy for all your people. 
place us again on the path of peace for all your children. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, in your mercy. Father God, creator of all your creation, testifies about your power, your grace, and your love. New lives, new hopes, new opportunities. For all this, O oh God, we give you thanks. Lord, in your mercy. On this day, we make in solidarity with the faithful around the world. Make us mindful of all those who live in places of fear and greed oppression and hate, poverty and hopelessness. Bring them comfort and peace. Lord, in your mercy. Everything that you create, you make free. And over and over again, our freedom is used for the purposes of sin, for alienation from you, for violence, for hatred and greed. And yet, even when we are at our worst, you do not abandon us, but you join us and come alongside us as Jesus Christ to redeem us and to restore us to a relationship with you forever. For this, God, we give you thanks. Lord, in your mercy. Always and everywhere, O Holy Spirit, we are never alone, and we thank you for your constant presence. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us here today. Uh, I am doing something incredibly unique and special in the life of the church, and that's called vamping. Probably wait for Mr. Mark to come over from the youth ministry. And in doing so, what I wanted to do was highlight a special service opportunity. Well, now that he's here, I'm not done. I'm talking. <laughs> I want to highlight a special service opportunity that's going to take place next Sunday during our time here at Church in the Morning, and that's called Rise Against Hunger. If you're not familiar with Rise Against Hunger, it's a chance for our church to come together in Wesley Hall and pack up over 14,000 different meals that will be sent to people overseas who are experiencing hunger. It's an amazing opportunity to serve. It's a family-friendly service opportunity. We break it up into about 30-minute segments. It involves taking some large selections of food items, packing them up into individual family sizes, and then put them into smaller boxes so that they can be efficiently shipped to the people who need them the most. So if you haven't had a chance recently to serve as the hands and the feet of Christ, there's no better opportunity to do so by yourself or with those that you love, including children in your family, next week here at the church. At the conclusion of the service, we're going to have the on-ramp station up to the side, and that would be a perfect place to sign up. How is that for off-the-cuff vamping? Mr. Mark! <laughs> You ready to see what's in the box? Now, am I just going to show you what's in the box? No. no. What do we have to do first? 
sing that we have to, yeah, we have to get through the stuff that Mr. Mark makes us do. And that's sing the song. You ready? What's in the box today? Here we go. What's in the box today? What's in the box today? Tell us, tell us, tell us, please. What's in the box today? And it's very heavy. It's something for you. So, it is, everyone gets a bag with 10 animals, and it's 10 of the same animal. So, here's what I want you to do. I want you to very gently, very kindly come. They're all, I have no idea. You get what you get in, and you don't throw a fit. Here we go. And you get a bag, 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 and everybody gets a bag. And hold on to those. Now, there is one thing I need you to do for me. Oh, gentle friends, gentle friends. There we go. Who needs a bag? You need a bag? One bag for you. Who else? Gentle. And you need a bag? And you got one? And you got one? Who needs one? You got one? And you need one? You got one? Everybody got one? Does everyone have a bag? June needs a bag. All right. Now, freeze. I need you to do one thing for me. Say, Mr. Mark. Mr. Mark. What one thing do you need us to do? I would like you to take out one animal, and I want you to hand that to me. You get to keep the other nine, but put it right there in this tray. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Look at that. Just one. You get to keep the other nine. Yeah, thank you. Oh, my goodness. An elephant. Yeah. Well, thank you, friends. Thank you. Everybody put one in there? All right. So, everybody look at what I've got in there. Everybody say, Mr. Mark. You got a whole zoo. I do have a whole zoo. I've got all different kinds of animals. Some of them are tall, some of them are short. I've got elephants and giraffes. And you may be sitting there thinking, i got nine hippos. What am I going to do with nine hippos? I've got a nine. Would you like to have a zoo too? Instead of just nine of one animal? Here's what I want you to do. You're going to walk around, and if you want to, you can trade your animal with somebody for one of their animals. And I'm going to give you... To the, let's do a, I will do a song. And when the song's over, you got to stay in your spot, right? Get back to your spot right where you are. Okay, you ready? And you can share and you can give away one of yours. You can give away all nine of yours. And let's see what you want to get. You ready? Here we go. Mark's taking us to the zoo tomorrow. Zoo tomorrow. Zoo tomorrow. Mark's taking us to the zoo tomorrow. We can stay all day. We're going to the zoo. 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 How about you? You. You. You can come to, 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 we're going to the zoo, zoo, zoo. Mr. Mark's taking us to the zoo tomorrow, zoo tomorrow, zoo tomorrow. Mr. Mark's taking us to the zoo tomorrow. We can stay all day. We're going to the zoo, zoo, zoo. How about you, 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 you can come to, 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 we're going to the zoo. And ten, nine, eight, seven. Six, five, four. I've got a rhino. I still need Carl Yusremski. 
Three, two, I got you, I got you hook up, I got you. And freeze, and everybody hold up your zoos. And if you come upstairs in a little bit, we can even work this out more and sort it out. Now say, Mr. Mark, how did that happen? It happened because rather than hold on to all of your animals and go, oh no, if I give mine away, I'm going to have nothing, you gave not just one out of ten, but you kept giving and you gave more. And when you gave, people gave back to you and giving feels good. And now each one of us has a zoo. And that's pretty cool. Taking a deep breath. <sighs> Repeat after me. Say, dear God. Thank you, Thank you for giving us the courage, giving us the courage to, share, to share, to give, give to be open. Be open. It's, amazing it's amazing what comes back. What comes back. Amen. Amen. And if you want to join me upstairs and we can sort animals some more and play with them, meet me right there. I'm Reverend Jenna Anderson, and I scripture reading for today this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. I will be reading from the new revised standard version, the updated edition, and invite you to read along in your own Bible or one of the pew Bibles in front of you. The scripture is on page 25 in the Old Testament of the pew Bible. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones from the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a stairway set upon the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord God stood beside him and said, I am the Lord the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you live I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he'd put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go 
and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me I will surely give one-tenth to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Reverend Jenna. Before we consider today's scripture reading and today's message, I want to extend words of gratitude and thanksgiving. Thanks to everyone who's a part of teaching throughout the church, particularly our confirmation teachers. Today they took uh, our confirmation class over to Mount Olivet Baptist Church on the east side of Fort Worth to have a cross-cultural worship experience. That's very cool, and I'm so thankful for them that are doing that. Thanks to our tech team for that's connecting us online. I want to say hey to the folks who are worshiping at the United Methodist Oasis Fellowship in Cisco and folks who are joining us all over the country. I'm so thankful to be in worship with you today. Thanks to our hospitality, our greeter team, our worship leaders. Thank you so much to everybody. I also want to say a special word of thanksgiving to my fellow pastors on staff here at the church. Between some vacations, holidays, going to San Francisco for a wedding for a close friend, and UMW Sunday, Ginya, uh, Brenda, Mac, Mike, Samuel, and Phyllis have all preached in the last six weeks. And so thanks to all of you uh, for your leadership here in the church. I haven't gone only preaching once out of six weeks in 10 years. So y'all get ready for a long one today. I got, I ain't had anybody listening to me in a long time and I am ready to talk. So thinking about this scripture selection over the course of the week, it reminded me of a theological and moral and ethical conundrum that I found myself in in over the course of the last year. About a year ago, I found myself in this deep theological and moral and ethical question. And I was dwelling on it. I was thinking about it and I was praying about it and I was talking to my wife about it and we were trying to balance it. And the source of this theological and moral and ethical quandary in the life of my family is how much money is appropriate to spend on this stupid couch. How much money is it okay to spend on this couch before Jesus would be upset with me? <laughs> and to give you a little bit of a background, I have a not small family. I have four children between the ages of five and 11 and two dogs. In fact, if you were just watching the children's moment and said, who's that boy hitting his sister? That's half my kids. Gives you a little bit of an idea of the situation that we're in. Our living room is the very center of our house. It's where everything takes place. And it is exactly the size of one sectional. There is only one piece of furniture that can fit in that room. And the previous one was done. It had been purchased at one of those kind of pop-up overstock store kind of places where they've got one in stock. And it was shot. It had served its duty and died spectacularly. And we needed a new couch. And so we're in the process of shopping for a new couch. And you're going through these conversations like, well, how much is this couch going to get used? Well, every single day. Uh, how much is this couch going to be, you know, visible in the house? Every single day. It's the centerpiece of the house. People are going to see it. People are going to use it every single day. Okay. How much abuse is it going to take? <laughs> and I would go to these furniture stores and I would tell them, I've got four kids and two dogs, and they would say, we've got nothing for you here. <laughs> None of these will work for you. Go somewhere else. 
So he finally ended up finding the place that made the kind of couches that are needed for families like us. You know, lifetime warranty, solid redwood, I think, welded together, made in America. You know, the kind of couches that can survive in my household. You know, it looks fine even. It kind of looks okay. Not luxurious by any means, but built to last. I think it's made by the same people who make the Abrams tank. And so... The problem is, the cost of this couch is approximately equivalent to the GDP of a small island nation. <laughs> I'm in a theological and moral and ethical conundrum. How much money is appropriate to spend on this stupid couch? You know, it's easy for us to think that there's, you know, our spiritual life, and there's our religious life, and there's come to the church and stand and sing and receive communion life. And then there's the every other part of our life where we buy couches. And those things are not related, but that's not true, is it? How you think about God, how you think about yourself, how you think about resources, how you think about investing, how you think about choosing what it is in which you're going to spend your most precious resources, all of those things are intertwined together. You can't separate them out. That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're actually going to be talking today about money. You know, and it's interesting because so often when we talk about things like worship or prayer, when we talk about serving other people, people have an easier time receiving those messages. But whenever we start talking about something like money and giving and how those things come together, some walls can come up in us, right? We can start to get a little bit defensive before we've even talked about it. And so I want to tell you that today is a very special and perfect day for us to talk about money. And the reason is, is I'm not asking for any of it. <laughs> At the 9.30 service, we passed the baskets before the sermon, so I was able to tell them the, pass the baskets have already been passed. Y'all's baskets coming in a minute, but that's not the reason. <laughs> what I want to talk about is your spiritual relationship with money, and I need you to be able to hear this conversation not thinking that it's part of a fundraising conversation. Does that make sense? Because if you think I'm just trying to raise funds for the operating budget of the church, it's so easier to say, like, I don't really believe what he believes about what he's saying. And that's simply not the truth. In fact, one of the things that I've said for years, and I'll say again now, is if you have a hard time believing what I'm saying about the spiritual benefits to you, to living sacrificially so that you can live generously, take your generous givings and give it somewhere else. Give it somewhere else. Find some other community. Find some other ministry. My only request is that it be some place that lifts up the name of Jesus and works for the coming of the kingdom. But if you think I'm just talking about things, things, because we're trying to raise money for the operating budget of the church, give it somewhere else. Because this message is much too important to have that be a roadblock in your way. I want you to think about how it is that today's scripture comes to tie into this topic, into this message. We're in a sermon series right now called Beginnings. And one of the things that I love to do at the beginning of this part of the year, I feel like this is kind of New Year for so many people. This is to me, kind of still thinking in terms of the school year calendar, this is kind of New Year to me. And I love to start this season out with focusing on some real foundational aspects of the story of God and God's relationship with humanity. So many of these aspects of the story begin in Genesis. And what's happening over the course of the many arcs of these stories is that God is beginning to call out a portion of, of humanity. God is beginning to call and set aside a people to begin to reveal to them, this is who I am. 
This is what it is to live in relationship with me. These are my values. This is how you connect with me. Shortly, we're going to be studying the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And those aren't just rules that you need to follow in order to not get in trouble. They're expressions of values and connection and instruction on how to live in connection with this kind of a God. That's one of the things that God is doing, and that's one of the reasons why the stories of the patriarchs are so important, those leading people who came before the people of Israel found themselves in Egypt. Now, it's important to remember as well that a great many portions of the Bible are descriptive, not prescriptive, meaning some things are written to describe what happened, not to say you need to exactly go and do likewise. It's important to keep that in mind when we're hearing the story of the man in today's scripture, Jacob. Jacob's one of those patriarchs. He's traveling. He goes to sleep, and he has this vision. In many translations, it's called a ladder, but an even better translation is a stairway. And that stairway extends from the land where he is up to heaven, a stairway to heaven. It makes you want to write a song, right? <laughs> Don't, do not laugh at that. You're just encouraging me. That's a bad joke. I blame you. The vision of this stairway to heaven is that it's populated with the messengers of God, signs of God's presence, power, and work. It's a message to Jacob that wherever you go, my work is at hand. You can't outrun me. You can't leave me behind. I am with you, and I am at work. And this is important because do you know why Jacob's traveling? Jacob's traveling for two reasons. One, he's going to find a wife that's connected to his ancestral family connections. But the most important reason he's traveling is because he has, for a second time, duped his older brother and stolen something that belonged to him. Jacob first stole his older brother's birthright, which in a community like theirs wasn't 50-50. It was much more than that. Jacob tricked his brother into giving him his birthright, his inheritance. And on their father's deathbed, Jacob tripped their father with assistance from his mother to receive the blessing that was supposed to go to his twin brother Esau. Instead, it went to Jacob, and with it, the covenant promises, the responsibility of leadership, etc. And so Jacob is not just traveling, he's on the run. He's fleeing from his older brother who has decided that it is his his time and it is right for him to murder his younger brother, Jacob. Jacob's on the run from an older brother who wants to kill him, and he's sleeping in the desert in the middle of the night with nothing but a rock for a pillow. We've all been there. And it's in that place to that man who's made many mistakes that God reiterates, I am still with you. It's to a person who's done wrong and will do wrong that God promises, I'm not done with you. It's to a person who's leaving the place that was safe and comfortable for them and is going what is to them the ends of the earth. And God is promising, I am still there. So Jacob stands up. He makes a monument to experiencing the presence of God. He makes a commitment. He makes a commitment of worshiping in love that he calls a tenth. The church word for that is a tithe. He's repeating something that was instituted by his grandfather, Abraham. It's important to remember the culture in which these communities took place. The people that surrounded this building family, they had their gods, and they made sacrifices. But their sacrifices were motivated by the desire to stop their gods from being angry and were motivated by the desire to please, please their God enough to receive something that they could need to survive. And it led to this constant source of tension. Is this offering enough? Are these grains enough? Is this goat enough? Is this ram enough? Is this steer enough? Is this child enough? 
And it's into this world that God stops this system. That's one of the reasons why God has Abraham go to the top of the mountain, prepare to sacrifice Isaac, and God interferes and says, stop, not because God's changed God's mind, but because God is trying to prove once and for all, I do not desire that. Instead, a system is put in place where people come forward with a fixed percentage of what they have that they offer in love and thanksgiving, support for others, and appreciation for their relationship with the loving and present God made known through that stairway. That's what their relationship with sacrifice, offering, and giving is like. Since its inception, the United Methodist Church has joined so many other Christian churches and lifted up the example of a tithe or the giving of of 10% of one's income as the ideal understanding of what it is to follow those same practices of worshiping and living in connection with the God who provides so much. You know, it's interesting to think about how much Jesus talks about money. Jesus talks about money all the time, and Jesus is never raising funds for ministry. Jesus makes it abundantly clear the kingdom of heaven is at hand and it will come with money or not. Money is not relevant to whether or not the kingdom of God is at hand. He's never raising funds for ministry, but what he's always doing is talking to people about their heart, their mind, and their soul. Because the truth is money gets tied up with all of that stuff in us, doesn't it? I mean, for the vast majority of us, the money that we have access to is the combination of three things. Our gifts, our skills, our education, etc., our experience. Our opportunities, the doors that have been opened for us, the things that we've made possible, the things that have been made possible for us by others. And our time, our work, our energy, our labor, our sweat, our stress. The money that we have is not just money, it's us. It's our gifts, it's our opportunities, it's our time. And in a society like ours, we're dependent on it to access the things that we most desperately need. You know, in some societies, money wouldn't have necessarily been required in order to provide shelter for your family. It's something you could have done on your own. I have to tell you guys, if my family becomes dependent on the house that I'm able to build for them with my two hands, we're going to come stay with (laughs) y'all. Jesus is talking about money all the time, and the most important thing that he's talking about is that I need you to trust in God. I need you to trust that God will provide. I need you to trust that God is enough. I need you to trust that your belonging and your security and your significance and your esteem, all of those things will never be completely and totally provided for you through wealth. They will only come to you through God. He talks about money all of the time because he never wants your attachment to money, your relationship with money, your fear of money, or your hopes of money to stand in between you and the one who made you. And he knows you well enough to know what you need to hear. You know, we give for two reasons. One is because amazing things can happen in the world when we do. Hospitals are built, schools are open, charities are opened, churches are built. Your journey of discipleship ultimately traces back to a ministry that was made possible through somebody else's sacrificial giving. That's true of every single person in this room. 
Your journey of discipleship was made possible through ministries supported by someone else's sacrificial giving. Amazing things happen in the world when we give. But more importantly, amazing things happen in us. When we give sacrificially, when we live, when we, sorry, when we live sacrificially so that we can give generously, changes happen in our heart. The hooks of greed and worry and stress begin to loosen themselves. It doesn't make us perfect, but it makes one of the biggest sources of pain and frustration in modern life weaker than our trust in God is strong. The number one source of conflict in marriage is fights over... I may be naive... But in one decade of ministry, I have never encountered a couple who is on the precipice of divorce because of their disagreement over finances, who also lives sacrificially so that they can give generously. The practice is transformative in our hearts, in our families, in our lives, and in our world. I walked through a little bit more of an explanation at the 9.30 service, and it's a shorter service today at 11 o'clock, so I don't have a full time to do so. But if you're interested in learning more, I gave them some guidelines for practices, particularly for people who are still kind of establishing their relationship with money. Phase one, I said, was you just need to take care of the emergency needs and the basic needs of yourself and those people um, who are under your care. It's, it's providing for the basic needs for you and yours. It starts with food and shelter and transportation and medicine for the people who are under your care. That can be multi-generational. After that, the next step as we figure out what to do with what it is we've been blessed to have, is to make sure that we're living in a way that worships God, that puts God first, living in a way that makes room to bless other people, and living in a way that builds something meaningful and in line with God's purposes. How much money is right to spend on that stupid couch? I forgot to tell the 930 service. I bought the couch. I bought the couch. It's more than I wanted to spend. But what I definitely didn't want to spend is a third of that money on three different couches, all of them made by people across the world who weren't paid a living wage, all of them that fueled ships and trucks to be delivered all over the place, all of them that ultimately just ended up in a landfill a few months later before to be repeated. I instead bought a couch that was made by union workers in the United States who made a living wage, that were skilled and had worked for decades in that craft that would last a long time, and that wouldn't end up in a landfill anytime soon. It's not a luxury item, it's a quality item. I feel like building means getting out of debt. I feel like it means stepping away from a throwaway society and into one that values quality and craftsmanship and things that are made to last. I think it involves things like planning for the future, taking care of your needs and providing for the needs of those whom you love and looks into things like establishing opportunities, businesses, facilities, nonprofits, charities, all which increase the opportunities that are created for the people around us. The most important thing that I ask you to know is that when Jesus talks about money, he holds up a mirror to you and asks, what do you see? What does it show you about what you love today? What is it showing you about your hopes and your fears? What is it showing you about what gives you life? And may you come to know that nothing could ever give you more life. Nothing could ever give you more hope. Nothing could ever give you more peace or purpose or satisfaction than living with God at the first 
of everything. So may you be blessed by the God who blesses you. Let us pray. Great and loving God, great are you and greatly to be praised. Lord, thank you for your presence in each and every one of our lives. Thank you for reminding us no matter who we are, no matter where we go, you are always with us. God, help us to steward things, our resources, the people around us, our time, putting you first. God, each and every one of us has a different life, has a different path, has a different portion of your ministry that you've given to us. So God, we simply ask that you lead us how you would lead us. Shape us how you would shape us. Build us into your people. God, help us to live and love like your son Jesus. And it's in his name that we give thanks and that we pray and say, amen. I'm the marshal this morning who is able to invite our ushers to come down to see that the baskets are passed. Um, and I've been thinking about this uh, since, well, during Lance's sermons this morning, and also since, since Friday when I saw the excellent short three-minute film that was, ushers, please do come forward, thank you. Uh, the excellent film that was emailed to you. And, you know, this, this whole idea of how we're blessed, I, for me, I realized that when I was younger, I often thought that I couldn't afford to give generously. And now the older I become, the more I realize that I can't afford not to do that. Because if I have that approach, I miss out on blessings. So I simply want to thank all of you for the ways that you offer blessings here and in so many other spots. And let's have a moment of prayer now to thank God for these gifts. Oh God, we give to you not because we have to, but because we want to. And so we ask you to take our gifts and multiply them so that the name of Jesus can be experienced by all of God's children. We offer our prayer in Jesus' name, amen.
Please be seated. The most important thing we can say about communion is you are welcome. All are welcome. This is God's table, and every person here is invited to participate in this sacrament. I do want to mention that for those of you who are seated on the main level, our ushers will be guiding us to come forward, beginning uh, with those of you seated in the back, uh, coming to kneel or stand at the communion rail. For those in the balcony, you know that you will have a station that you can go to, and I hope you know that you are always welcome to come to the communion rail on this level if you would like to do that. When you come, your hands being open signifies that you're ready to receive, and once you have your hands being closed means that you'd like to have a, a moment of reflection. We want to remind you that we always serve non-alcoholic grape juice because we want every person to be able to participate. And in that spirit, uh, each station has a gluten-free option. So just let your servers know if you would prefer that. Uh, once you've received uh, the juice through the small individual cups, uh, we ask you as you go back on the main level to put those cups in the receptacles that you see uh, on the sides, and for anyone in the balcony or on the main level, if you would like a server to come to you, simply let one of our ushers know that. Now, with that in mind, let's hear God's invitation. Christ our Lord invites us to his table. He invites all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. With that in mind, let us pray together. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. As I invite forward those who will be assisting with the serving of communion, if you begin preparing the stations while I consecrate the elements, I also want to remind you that in the spirit of World Communion Sunday, which is today, we have an additional uh, item for you. As you head back up the outside aisles, someone will be handing a special bookmark to you. If you'll hold on to that, I'll explain its purpose after we conclude communion. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You have made from one every nation and people to live on all the face of the earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join in their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. 
He commissioned us to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth and to make disciples of all nations. And today his family and all the world is joining together at his holy table. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, and said, Take all of you and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the supper was over, he took a cup of table wine, gave thanks over it, blessed it, and passed it, and said, Take all of you and drink, for this is my blood of the new covenant, the new promise, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us, together as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Renew our communion with your church throughout the world and strengthen it in every nation and among every people to witness faithfully in your name. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. And now, with the confidence of the children of God, let us together pray the words that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The table is set, the meal is ready. As the ushers release you, come forward and be fed.
our time of worship today, I want to draw attention to the bookmark that was placed in your hand after you received communion. The United Methodist Church is a global denomination, and it's such a blessing to be a part of a church that's active in so many places across the world that wouldn't be possible if we were just a single congregation. One of the things about which we discuss many times throughout the years, the ways in which we serve people in disaster relief. We're in the middle of recovering from fires, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, famines, and so many other issues. But you may not also realize the extent to which the United Methodist Church is also active in missionary work reaching people around the world to make sure that they understand that God loves them, that Jesus is in their lives, that he is good news for them in a way that brings them into a quality of life that wouldn't be possible without the knowledge that they are loved and beloved in God's eyes. I'm so incredibly thankful for their missionary work that I've asked you to hold on to this bookmark over the course of the week. Use it in your Bible. Keep it by your nightstand. Put it on your mirror when you brush your teeth. I don't know, my family. Stick it on the back of the remote control somewhere where you'll see it. <laughs> and over the course of the week, would you lift up the missionaries from your church who are around the world proclaiming the good news of Christ for the benefit of the people of this world? Will you join me in a quick blessing of these prayers? Great and loving God, we give you so many thanks for the many blessings throughout the life of our church. We pray a special blessing over these missionaries that, empowered by your grace, they may help people come to know the Christ who loves them unconditionally now and forever. Amen. I want to remind you that if you are a first-time visitor or guest, we're so thankful that you've joined us today. We have a station right up here at the front called the On-Ramp. Our On-Ramp people would love to answer any questions you have about life here at the church, finding a place to get connected. And if you're one of those first-timers, we also have a gift for you as well as any children that may be with you. It's also a great place to sign up for Rise Against Hunger or any other event that's happening in the life of our church. Also want to point out that we are a church that prays together. And after this and every service over by the Congregational Care Ministry signs, one of our Congregational Care Ministers will be present and would love to pray with you. If there's anything going on in your life or in the life of someone you love that's weighing heavy on your heart, please don't leave before coming forward and giving us a chance to bless you and carry that burden alongside you in prayer. Now, our gathering will soon be ended. Where will we go and what will we do? May grace, peace, hope, love, and joy forever accompany you. Amen.